Hey, and even though it's a, it's always seems like a quick trip as missionaries, you're traveling around and in so many churches, it's good to see everyone again and to uh, see older, familiar faces that we saw all the time before, see new faces, and and uh, we know that uh, for for us as a family getting to travel here, it's uh, it's nice for us because we're we're able to put faces and names together um, and to remember and to pray and. Uh, to thank God for new friendships and people we get to keep in contact. And hopefully for you, it's easier for you to remember us as a family when you get a chance to talk to us and spend some time here and remember the things that are, that are going on with us. And as we write our letters, I uh, get to keep in contact with you. And so we, we do cherish that as a family, getting to travel around and feel blessed that God allows us to uh, travel and be in so many churches and see so many people. And again, we thank you for your prayers. We thank you for your support uh, to us financially to be able to go uh, to the field of Scotland. We'll be looking at 1 Samuel tonight, chapter 5. 1 Samuel, chapter 5. And the thought of the message tonight is why we need missions so much today. Now, I'm not going to try to say that, that we need missions necessarily more today than than we have in any other point in our history. But I believe that it is a crucial thing, and I think that we are closer to the Lord's returning. And uh, Paul, as he preached, the apostles, as they preached, they were, they were preaching from the perspective that they expected the Lord to come back in their lifetime. And I think that was one reason that they were so potent in their message, is that they expected that God was going to return, that Christ was coming back, and he was going to take those that belonged to him and uh, have all of eternity with them. And they believed that wholeheartedly, and they preached like that, and they told everybody that they came in contact with about the Lord. And, uh, you know, he didn't come back during their lifetimes, but I think that we should live that way. I think that we should expect that Jesus is coming, that he is going to be here today, and we should live our lives like that, and it should make a difference uh, for us. But I believe that we need missions today uh, around this world to, as much or more than we've ever needed it because of the things that we see around us. We're going to talk about a few of those tonight, but it, how as a Christian can we look around us and not believe that man, this world is a wicked, wicked place today, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Every day that we go by, we see uh, new levels of, of sin, new things around us, and it's harder for us as Christians to function in everyday life and keep ourselves pure. It's harder for us to raise our children to not be tainted by sin that they see on TV, that they see on billboards around us, to keep them into church. Satan is fighting against us with everything that he has to pull our children away from uh, the things of God and to pull us away from the things of God as well. And we need missions today to reach the lost. 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. 
And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. And then verse 7, When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. And then verse 11, So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel, let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Let's have a word of prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Lord, I thank you for being able to stand in this pulpit and to preach the word of God. Father, tonight I just pray that you would give me clarity of thought. Lord, give me words to speak tonight that would honor your word. Or that you would give me liberty and boldness to proclaim the word of God as you've laid this message upon my heart. Father, I pray for each one listening tonight, Lord, that you would just fill uh, their hearts, Lord, with a desire to hear from you. Not to hear from the, the preacher, but to hear from you, Lord, and that we would leave here and have a desire to leave here better than when we came tonight. Lord, that you would just fill us tonight with your presence and your spirit. Allow us, Lord, to, uh, to be servants to you. Lord, that those around us would see that there's a difference in our life, that we truly do have the one true great God of this world. Father, I pray that you would be in all that's said and done. Christ, in my pray. Amen. As I think about this passage of Scripture and, and dealing with missions, I, I'd like to just point out to begin with tonight that as you look in verse 1, it says, The Philistines took the ark of God, and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then also, if you look over in chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, The ark of God was taken. It was taken by the Philistines to this point in chapter 5 and verse 1. We know that the Philistines came and they took that manifestation of God. The ark wasn't literally God in in flesh or anything that you could grab it. It was a representation and a manifestation of God. And it was his power that they saw. And Israel would take that ark and they, they reverenced it. It was holy and they weren't to touch it. They were to treat it properly. They were to have respect for that ark and to take care of it and make sure that it was always in its place, that it was always treated like it was supposed to. And here Israel has been once again, not doing what they're supposed to in serving God. Once again, going down the wrong path, denying God's power, denying His leadership in their life, not giving God His proper place in their life, and they get into a battle with the Philistines. The Philistines are victorious, they take the Ark of God, and they now are in possession of the presence of God. And it tells us here that they take the ark of God, they bring it from Ebenezer into Ashdod. And the thought there from that first verse and reason that we need missions so badly today is because I've, I personally believe that organized religion is robbing our God from us, trying its hardest to rob the God of this Bible from us. See, we see organized religion all around us. 
be it the Catholic Church, be it the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, Islam, and a host of other religions today, they're trying to rob God from us. And they would say, well, we all are doing the same thing. We're all on the same team. It doesn't matter which God you call out to, which the Bible says is false. There's only one name that we can call, and that's Jesus Christ. But listen, organized religion around us today is trying to take the God of the Bible, the God that we as independent Baptists believe in, that we have preached through century after century after century of this true God that makes a difference in our life. They are robbing him from us and trying to turn him into all sorts of things. And they're blaspheming God. They're blaspheming the word of God when they say that you have to, we're talking about the Calvinist uh, religion today, and what a horrible thing that they teach. But can you imagine a God that would say that you, he, that God would look at you and say that I think you're good enough to go to heaven. That I, I am going to personally choose you to come to heaven and enjoy all of the benefits of heaven, but I don't think that you're good enough. I'm just going to say, well, you're not good enough and you're going to have to spare it to go to hell. Now, what kind of God would do that? What kind of God would that be to serve that would hand, hand choose certain ones to go to heaven and others to go to hell? That's not the kind of God that the Bible teaches about. See, he died for all so that all of us can go. What kind of a God would force others to do uh, penance and to do all kinds of different things to earn their way to heaven? The Catholic Church in various places in South America, they have people, they, they require their people to crawl on glass. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been able to see, uh, that ceremony, but they have broken glass that's on the road and they're, they're crawling on their hands and knees to try to earn their way to heaven, to be good enough so that God will accept them. But that is not what the Bible requires of us. Nowhere will you find anything like that in the Word of God. See, He took all that. Jesus took all the punishment for us so that we don't have to experience it. But you know that, the, that religion today is, is requiring something other than what the Word of God teaches. We have all these televangelists that say you have to do this or you have to do that. You have to send money in. You have to do it my way or else you're not going to get the benefits of God. But see, we don't have that power. As a, as a preacher, I don't have the power to say who gets God and who doesn't. I'm, just so, I'm supposed to tell people about him and let God do the work in their heart. Let God change their life. That's the pattern that he set. See, I don't save anybody. Your pastor doesn't save anybody. It's the Word of God that changes lives. The Spirit of God that affects change in your life so that you can come to a great knowledge of him as Savior. See, when I was 25 years old, I had met my wife, my now wife. She wasn't then. I actually met her when I was 23. And I started going to that Baptist church. I didn't care anything about God. I didn't, I wasn't looking to get my life changed and to get everything right in my life. But she was there at church, so I thought, well, she had told me if I'm gonna, if we were gonna go out, that I would have to start coming to church. So I started coming to church. Now, little did I know that God was going to start working in my life, and he was going to start whittling away at all those walls that I had built up. But you know what? A preacher stood in that pulpit and began to preach the Word of God, and I began to understand that if I died, I was going to go to hell. It wasn't because Brother Williams is a, such a great preacher. I think he's a good preacher. But it was because the Word of God was preached like it's supposed to be and given an opportunity to work in my heart. 
25 years old, I was out living, living my life for me. I was number one. I was, uh, the world revolved around what I wanted. And that's all I could see. But it changed when I understood that I was a sinner and I was on my way to the devil's hell. And I prayed and I asked the Lord to take my heart and to cleanse it and to make me a child of God and praise the Lord for that, that anybody can experience that. See, Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. See, I think that we need to pay attention to things like that. See, today the Mormon church, how did they say they got, how did Joseph Smith say that he got his revelation? An angel from heaven came and showed him those golden plates. How does the Jehovah's Witness? They were shown special revelation. We have countless different religions that say one way or another they had special revelation given to them. But see, Paul says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what we've already preached. That means anything that we, that's not what we have here. That we need to pay, we need to watch out for that. And you listen to what Paul said. He said, it doesn't matter if, if I walk through the doors of their church that the people of Galatia that he's preached to and seen them, they, seen them saved. He says, it doesn't matter if I come myself and I tell you something different than what I've already told you, then I should be accursed. Don't change the word of God. You get me out of your presence. Get, get away from me because I'm the one that's wrong. And any time a preacher deviates from the word of God, they're wrong. And we need to be careful what we listen to, what we, what we pay attention to, because there is so much around us today that is just flat wrong. They are not preaching the Word of God when they preach about works for salvation, when they preach about different things, uh, praying for others who are already dead, being baptized for those who are already dead. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. See, Paul understood these things when he preached. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 then we see something else there. It tells us, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. See, Paul, once again, understood that as a Christian, we need to be careful who we affiliate with. And I think that this is a huge problem. We have a, we have a political view to Christianity today. And I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not saying this to offend anybody. And from listening to your pastor, I think that he probably touches on these things a little bit already. But you watch these politicians on TV and they have their big disagreements. Well, my friend across the aisle, my friend across the aisle. Listen, we don't, they, they, they are, they ought to be, their attitude is, is diametrically opposed. They, they don't get along as far as what they say. I don't know that they're really as far apart as what they would like us to believe. But they're sitting there, well, it's my friend, and we're going to go out and have a good time together after we get, up, get past all this other stuff. We shouldn't be that way. And we live our Christian life like that. We say, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to come to church here at this independent old-fashioned Baptist church, but I'm going to have all my friends that are going to be other religions and other things that aren't true, and we make them our close friends. But Paul says you need to mark those which cause divisions. 
Mark those which teach things contrary to the doctrine of God. And we need to avoid them. Now, that's, that's not a popular message today. Because we, we live in a world that, oh, we want to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to make everybody happy with what we're saying. We don't, want to make, we don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I don't find that in the Word of God. I'm sorry. Those men that preached and gave their life in, this, in the Word of God, they just laid it out on the line. You were either with them or you were against them. They didn't worry about who was going to be offended by it. But it says there to avoid them. And the thought there is that, you know what, you need to be careful who your friends are. You need to be careful who your close affiliations are. I'm not saying be rude to everybody else. I'm not saying to not treat them like human beings and that we look down our nose at them. But I'm saying that what matters is the group that's in this building tonight. See, you're God's family here, Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Y'all are supposed to gel together and work together and be friends and close friends together. And the people that you confide in, it ought to be people inside these walls. They're the ones who understand who you are. They're the ones who understand the doctrine that you're being preached, the things that you're being taught. They're the ones who will lift you up in prayer and ask God to intercede for you. It's not these people down the street that think that we're foolish and that we're hard-headed and narrow-minded and that we're not teaching the truth about the Word of God. They're not the ones who are going to stand up for us. The Bible says to avoid those who are contrary to the doctrines and the teachings of the Word of God. And we ought to pay, we ought to pay attention to that. I think a lot of problems have been caused. I can tell you firsthand experience. I know people in our church back in, back in Texas. I know young ladies and young men that they could not separate from some of their friends, and it never seems to work out that they get the other people in to church. It seems like the other that they get pulled out of church somewhere else. That's the way it seems like it works out more times than than not. And we need to be careful about that. See, John chapter one, verse ten or eleven says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You, you get that. Now, this verse hit home with me because I used to, when I was a newer Christian, when the JWs or the Mormons would come by my house, I would invite them in to my home and I would try to sit there and debate with them. But then when I got a hold of this verse, I was like, I don't, I, I shouldn't even be inviting them in my house. I'll stand outside and I'll debate with them, but I'm not going to have them come into my home. And then when these guys tell you, well, we're all doing the same thing. We're all working towards the same goal. If you tell them, well, bless God, you just go out there and you do, you're partaking of their evil deeds. That's how God looks at it. So we need to be careful about the things that we say. God is serious about good fellowship and good service towards him. We need missions today because the world is trying to rob God from us. So we have the truth. We don't need to water down what we have. We don't need to change our message. It doesn't need to adapt to today's problems. It just needs to be preached. It just needs to be laid out there for the world to change, for the world to see. The Philistines took the ark of God, his presence, and they brought it from Ebenezer into Ashdod. What did they do with it? 
says, when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. I think another reason that we need missions so badly today is because not only is organized religion trying to rob us of our God, but also the reverence and the holiness of our God, of his name, is just not even paid attention to today. We have lost reverence for the name of God. We have lost the seriousness of using his name. See, the Bible gives warnings about it. But here, see, we find out that the Philistines, they took the ark, the presence of God, and they brought it into their house, and they just set it right there beside their God, Dagon. They just put him there. He wasn't anything special. It wasn't like this was any special God that, uh, that they should reverence. And we're going to talk about this in just a little bit, in just a moment, but... See, they knew what they had. They full well understood what they had brought in, the, in there to Dagon. But see, we live in a world today that's just lost reverence for God. They don't care how they use his name. They don't care how they talk about him. They don't care about his word. We see all these different versions of, of the Bible, all these different translations of the Bible today that are not true. They don't hold up. They've taken parts of the Word of God out. They've made changes to it. There's no reverence for that anymore. Today, about, uh, I guess it's been about a month ago, there at the University of Texas in San Antonio, a group of atheists gathered out on the grounds of the school. They set up their booth out there, and they had an, a campaign that was called Smut for Smut. What they were doing was they were telling people that if you will bring your Bible in and trade in your Bible, that they would give them pornography. Smut for smut. They're saying that this Bible is no better than pornography. That's what people think about our God, about the Word of God today. That's what the lost consider this precious book to be. That ought to make us angry. That ought to make us want to stand up and, and shout from the rafters how great God is. But instead, what do we do sometimes? We just cower back. Well, now God will take care of it. Well, God wants us to stand up. He doesn't want us sitting back in the corner, just watching and waiting for Him to come back. He does want us to watch, but He wants us to be out doing His work. Going out telling others. Sharing the gospel. See, there's no holiness today and reverence for the holiness of our God. And we treat, our, we treat God like he's our buddy down the street. And we can just carry him wherever we want to and take him wherever we want to and speak however we want to and listen to whatever we want to, watch whatever we want to, and that God, he's just going to have to either deal with it or not pay attention. But see, God doesn't work that way. That's not how he is. And you, uh, you people here in New York probably know uh, as good as anybody in the world today what sin can do to your city. You go downtown. You look at everywhere you turn. I mean, there's billboards and there's big TV screens and junk everywhere. Broadway has all these signs and things out there dealing with uh, different plays and people half-dressed. And you've got to watch out what's going on around you. See, you, you live in a city that is wicked and turning to Satan and not to God. Has it always been that way? No. 
Are you, are you the only ones that have that problem? No. It's all over the world. See, Scotland, man, they have completely turned away from God. Me being from Texas, uh, I guess considered the Bible Belt, and you've got churches everywhere. See, my, my limited mind wasn't completely ready for what we saw when we got over there and started doing work for God. See, we've had, my daughter's been punched in the stomach after church service. We've had rocks thrown at us after we walk out from the church service. We've had to deal with things. Now, so be it. I mean, we're not the only ones that have had to go through things, and many have gone through a whole lot worse than we have. But they have, there's no reverence anymore for, the, for church. It used to, even, even me as a lost person growing up, I didn't care anything about God, but at least I had some reverence for church and for the, the preacher, the man of God. I mean, I wouldn't talk to him like I would talk to somebody else on the street. But today, they don't care. They'll, they'll call your preacher names, cuss him out. They'll desecrate the house of God. There is no reverence at all for God anymore. And even worse, in our own churches, we've lost the ability to see God for who He is. We don't treat Him like He is a holy, wonderful God. See, in this story, we find out that Dagon, when they set the ark of God by Him, that what happened to Dagon, it says he even fell on his face before God. But we come to God like He ought to be in respect in all of us because we're here today. But it shouldn't be that way. See, a service shouldn't go by that we shouldn't say, praise God, man, I can walk into the doors of a church where the Bible is preached and I can feel the presence of God in my life. And we should thank God every time that we have the opportunity that we can stand before Him and experience God, experience a relationship with Him, walk with God. See, we serve a God that we can pray to and know that He's listening to us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That we don't serve some God that doesn't care about the needs that we have. See, we serve a great God. God's ways are right. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 5 says, The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. It doesn't say he might not do it. It doesn't even mention that he can do it. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. See, we serve a God that's never going to do wrong. His ways are right. Everything He instructs us to do will always, 100% of the time, do, be right. If He says, walk this way, then just walk that way and trust that God will be in control and take care of it. That's hard. That is a hard thing to do. Because our flesh wants to be in control of this body. We want to do things our way. I'll tell you, as a man, I don't like anybody telling me what I can and can't do. I don't want somebody telling me what's gonna, how things are gonna go in my life. I don't want some boss standing over me, running roughshod in my life all the time. But see, God does not work that way. He gives me the choice to do it His way, or I can take the consequences of what I've chosen to do. And I've earned that. If I don't listen to Him, then I earn what I bring on myself. And there's been a lot of times I've made a mess out of what God's trying to do. And it's a hard lesson to learn to just let God be in control and just say, you know what? I don't have an answer. God, you're just going to have to work this out for me. You're going to have to show me what you want me to do before I even take a step. 
See, when we do that, we find out that God's ways are always right. His name is holy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So we deal with this in Scotland quite a bit because they use Jesus as the most common cuss word that you hear people say. Kids, these guys' age, they're already saying it. Everywhere you go, anything that happens, they use the name of Jesus as a cuss word. And we're having all the time to correct our kids that come to church, tell them, listen, you can't say that. You, you, you need to understand that you're using the name of the Lord in vain when you're, when you're using it that way. And we're trying to train them to stop talking like that. And teach them that it's a serious thing to God. But as adult Christians, sometimes we are a little bit loose, maybe sometimes, with how we use God's name. We need to be careful about that as well. His knowledge is unattainable. Psalm 139, verse 4 through 6, says, There is not a word in, in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. See, that's another great thing about God. The world is struggling as hard as they can. The evolutionists are struggling as hard as they can to figure out how life started, where it all came from, how did all this begin, and they just can't seem to figure it out. These scientists sit around scratching their head, coming up with mathematical equations to try to solve the riddle of where we came from. They're never going to find it. They're never going to come up with an answer. They're never going to solve that problem because they won't just take what the Bible says as true. God spoke and it all came into existence. That's all. It's that simple. How did God create my body? He spoke. How did God create this world, hang the stars and the sun and the moon? He spoke. He just said, that's where I want it. There it is. That may seem hard to believe, but you know what? As the pastor said this morning, it requires faith. Anything apart from faith is sin. And I just have to accept by faith that my God is capable of doing that. He created us. He made everything that we see. And I don't have to understand it. I don't have to know everything about it to be okay with it. My friend back in Texas, he, I was trying to witness to him and talk to him about the Lord. and He couldn't get past the things he'd heard about evolution. And he said, well, what if they found you know, some proof that proved the Bible wasn't right? I said, I don't care. I would still trust the Bible. I don't care what they find. They can find whatever they want to, but it doesn't change the fact that God said he created. He is responsible for everything we see. It's just a different way of interpreting what we see. See, Bible says, and the Christian says, God's in control. The world says, there can't be a God because nobody can have control over me. There's no reverence for the holiness of God. The world needs to see God in our life. See, one of the things that God told the children of Israel, He said to rehearse generation after generation after generation what great things God has done. 
Tell them how good God has been. Let them see that God is real and there's power still from God. But see, today we go, we go about our lives and we, we give ourselves credit for getting us, getting us out of problems. Boy, you don't know, man, I almost, <laughs> I almost had a big problem. But boy, I, I solved it. I got it all worked out. I was able to, to get back on the right track. Now, we ought to give credit to God for that. Say, praise God, He brought me through it. He gave me wisdom. He allowed me to come up with a solution for the problem. See, we, we should give God pr- credit for everything. Praise Him for everything that we have. And then we go and we tell people about how good God is. We should tell our children the miracles that God has worked in our life. We should share with them and make sure that they understand, that they know that the God that I'm talking about isn't just some story that I'm talking about, but it's some evidence and some proof behind that of how good God is. The world has lost its reverence for the holiness of God. The last thing tonight is that everybody's going to stand accountable to God. Everybody is going to stand accountable to God for their choices. Now, that falls partially to us as Christians as well. See, we're going to be accountable for what we've done with the truth that we have, with the knowledge that we've been given. We will stand accountable to God for how we've treated that. Now, this is a familiar passage to to everyone. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore... Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. But see, that's not the only verse that we could use. But that one passage right there makes every one of us as Christians accountable. God didn't say for your pastor to go do it. He didn't say for the missionary to go do it. He didn't say just for the apostles to go do it. He said, go, ye. That's all of us. Everybody has a job to do. If you're a Christian and you've prayed and asked the Lord to come into your heart and to save you, you have a job to do, and that is to tell others about Christ. You are to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. But we fall way short of that, I'm afraid. As Christians... We fall way short of the job that we ought to be doing and sharing Christ with others. But see, we're going to stand accountable for what we've done with the truth that we have. Are we sowing the seed of salvation in the lives of others? But see, those that we do share with, see, the good thing for you is that you shared that with that cabbie. You, you shared the gospel with him. And see, now it falls from your shoulders. You don't have to worry about it. You did what God wanted you to do today. So now it falls to him. See, he now stands before God, and he's going to have to give an account for the truth that he has. He's been given how to be saved. He can look at that, and he has everything that he needs to accept Christ as his Savior. And they're going to stand before God and give an answer for what they've done with him. We need missions today because we live in a world of 6 billion people in this world. My mind can't really even fully comprehend 
what six billion people would look like. But I know it would be a lot. Six billion people in this world, and the majority of them are going to hell. Man, that, that ought to break our heart. We need missions today because all of those six billion people are going to give an account to God. They're going to stand before him and either be accepted into heaven or they're going to be condemned to an eternity in hell. So we've got a lot of work to do in this world today. We've got a lot of work to do to make sure that others hear the truth. Organized religion is trying to rob God from us. They're trying to blend us all together into one big universal church group of people that just believe in a God. It doesn't matter which one you believe in. They're trying to rob the truth about God. They've lost the reverence for the holiness of his name and how wonderful God is. And all men are going to stand and give an account. Everybody. So you're going to stand accountable. But you know what the Bible says today? In Acts chapter 18, verse 6, it says, When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own, head, hand, your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. And then again in Acts chapter 20, he says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. See that cabbie today? He won't be able to stand there and say, Nobody ever told me. He won't, he won't be able to look at you and say, she didn't tell me. She rode in my cab, and she didn't even share the gospel. You're, clean, you're cleansed from his blood. It's not on your hands. How many of us are going to be tainted with blood that people that we pass by and not shared the gospel with? I'll, I'll stop with this thought. From the day that you got saved... That moment that you pray and ask the Lord to come in your heart, you think about every person that you've come in contact with. If you have not shared the gospel with everybody that you've come in contact with, you're guilty of their blood. Their blood is going to be on your heads. Woe to us. How many people have we walked past? How many people have we just gone by and not even considered? their eternal destination. And how many people will look at us and say, why? You had the only thing that I needed in life and you didn't even bother to share it with me. How many of us are going to be guilty? How many people are we going to have to sit there and watch? I believe it's going to be a sad day for us when we are judged on that. We need missions today. Not because missionaries are great, not because we need to lift anybody up on a pedestal, but because God told us to go and tell. Because he devised a, a plan of making sure that the world has opportunities to hear before he returns. I believe we're in that last day. I hope, man. I, I look forward to hearing that Trump just blow Man, we're gone out of here and, and no longer to have to fight the battles. No longer to have to worry about evil and wicked things that we see around us, but to get to spend all of eternity in the presence of our Savior. 
what a wonderful thing it's going to be. What are we doing, though, to affect change in the world that we live in? We have a word of prayer this evening. And the altars will be open. You'll be able to come tonight and to surrender to God afresh. Say, Lord, use me. Give me boldness. Give me a desire for those that I'm around. Father, we thank you tonight again for the opportunity to gather, and Lord, for your word, Lord, for the holy God that you are. Lord, I pray tonight that it would be our desire to see you and to have a relationship with you as the God of our lives. Lord, that we would have respect for you. Lord, have a desire to draw close to you. Lord, have a desire to tell others about you. Father, we, we love you tonight, and thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Pastor. Amen. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you'd like to step out and spend a few moments at the altar, the altar is open. Let's let the Lord do his work in our hearts and in our lives. We'll not have any music tonight. Just just a moment of silence. If you need to come and pray, now's the time.